Well, good morning, Pole Creek. We are so glad that you have chose to worship with us today. To have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Well, I want to tell you a story while you're finding your place there. There was a man who went fishing in the ocean in a small boat. A fierce storm arose, and the man and his boat were swept out into the depths of the sea. The storm raged on, and eventually the man's boat was battered to the point that it broke apart, and it sunk. The man drifted in the ocean for a time until he spotted a deserted island in the distance. The man swam to the island and arrived with only the clothing on his back, thankful just to be alive. The man was hopeful that a passing ship would rescue him or a plane flying overhead would see him and send help. But none came. As time wore on, the man built himself a shelter to protect himself from the elements. More time goes by and the man makes himself a kitchen, a living area, and a bedroom. The man also fashions bowls, plates, and utensils from materials found on the island. When the man's clothing eventually wore out, he made clothing from what the island offered. He made so much that he stored his clothing in a closet that he also built into his shelter. The man also fashioned himself some shoes. In fact, he made a pair for each day of the week. And thus, ladies, you will appreciate this, he built himself a shoe closet. The man grew tired of eating fruit, and so he made himself a fishing pole so he could catch fish. He was able to make more than one, so he built a shed onto his shoulder, on his, onto his shelter to store his fishing gear. One day the man was out fishing a little ways from shore when suddenly, out of nowhere, lightning struck the man's shelter and it caught on fire. The man yells, no, and he runs from the water. But by the time he reaches his home, it is completely engulfed and eventually it burns to the ground. The man falls to his knees in disbelief. Everything he has worked for is gone. All of his hard work and supplies were destroyed in a matter of minutes. The man is so distraught, he falls himself into the fetal position and cries himself to sleep. There he sleeps all night with no clothing, no shelter, no supplies. All the things he has fashioned for himself are gone. Morning arrives and the man awakens and he swears he hears someone yelling at him. He looks and as he wipes the sleep from his eyes, there close to the shore is a huge commercial ship. The ship is so big that the man has to run closer to hear what is being shouted at him. When he gets close enough, he asks the man on the ship to repeat himself. The man on the ship yells out, We saw your smoke signal and came over to see if you needed help. So I guess by now, perhaps you have already guessed the moral of this story. The man lost what he thought he couldn't do without, but he gained the one thing he most desperately needed. So the title of my sermon this morning is called, God is Working Even in Your Suffering. In the time that we have here together this morning, I want to talk about suffering. Probably one of the most misunderstood realities of life. Human suffering goes by many names, and I will use some of them this morning. We use terms like trials, hardships, afflictions, tribulation, or storms of life as a way to describe suffering. One of the questions that mankind often struggles with the most is why does God allow suffering? In fact, if you talk to or witness to enough people, you will eventually run into someone who declares, if God exists, then why is there human suffering? However, this very question itself comes from an error in assumption. 
The problem with the error with this question is it assumes that if God exists, then there should be no suffering. The error of this thinking is a human construct. Nowhere in Scripture are we led to believe that because God exists, there should be no suffering. Now, I mean, you may say, well, what about all the verses that talk about God's goodness and blessing being bestowed upon his people? Yes, they are there, and they are all true. But God's promise of blessing does not negate times of suffering. In fact, as I will show you today, sometimes God's greatest blessing comes through suffering. You see, throughout Scripture, one of the major themes is the suffering of mankind. The Bible does not downplay it or gloss over it or dismiss it. The Bible presents suffering as common to man. In fact, I would like to show you that because there is suffering, God exists. Suffering is allowed by God. God is suffering in and throughout human suffering, and God accomplishes his will through suffering. In fact, almost every book of the Bible, we find suffering. The Bible does not avoid the issue of pain and suffering. It tackles it head-on as a reality of life. If I wanted to write a false narrative, a fairy tale, as some say the Bible is, I would write that God exists to make your life comfortable and trouble-free. But that's not what we find in Scripture, is it? Far from it. Just open the first book of the Bible, and as we will here in just a minute, in Genesis, and what do we see? When you look at the book of Genesis, it begins with the account of how evil and death came into the world. Genesis contains lying, stealing, cheating, murder, and that's just the first book. When you look at the next book, the book of Exodus, it's a story of slavery and oppression and 40 years of wandering in the wilderness for the Israelites. Take the book of Job, one of the oldest books of the Bible. What does it deal with? The loss and suffering of Job, who the Bible tells us was a righteous man. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is dedicated to the theme of pain and suffering. The book of Psalms is filled with prayers and songs of worship that were born out of seasons of pain. Then you get to the prophets like Jeremiah, which was written during a time of captivity. Jeremiah asked God, How long, O Lord, must your people endure? Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Much of his adult life was consumed by hardship. Another book by Jeremiah, the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah is lamenting the fall of Israel to the Babylonians. Then you get to the three chapters of the book of Habakkuk, and you have a dialogue between the prophet and God. Habakkuk is complaining to God about the evil in the world and the suffering around him. He asks God, how long must I cry out for help and you do not listen? Then you get to the New Testament and you have the books of Hebrews and 1 Peter. Books that were written to help believers who were struggling with, wait for it, persecution and suffering. Then finally you get to the book of Revelation, which predicts the darkest time yet to come for mankind. It tells us the sun will no longer give light and the stars will fall from the sky. Thankfully though, Revelation shows us how Jesus Christ is the hero of the Bible who will set things straight. Furthermore, John describes Jesus as the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus, as we know, suffered greatly. So I hope I've made the point that Scripture acknowledges suffering and that God works through suffering to accomplish his will. So in thinking about that, I just want to look at Joseph in, in Genesis 39. Joseph was a man that God took through some of the worst suffering imaginable and developed him into a champion for the Israelites who ended up saving his people. 
Have you ever realized that there's more in the book of Genesis about Joseph than Adam and Eve? There is more written about Joseph than creation. More written about Joseph than the fall of man. More written about Joseph than the flood. There is more written about Joseph than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob put together. In fact, chapters 37 all the way to chapter 50 of Genesis are about one man, Joseph. Obviously, there is much about Joseph that God wants us to see. So if you have your Bibles there open, please stand with me. Let's read Genesis 39. I'll read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll skip over a little bit, and I will finish with verses 19 through 23. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned, in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now let's jump down to chapter, or excuse me, verse 19. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, These are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we thank you for its clarity. We thank you for its power. We thank you for its authority. We pray that you would give us eyes to see it, that you would give us ears to hear it, that you would give us mouths to speak it and hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. So I want us to see that there are several things we can learn about God and how he works in our suffering from the life of Joseph. So if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, point number one is the first thing I want us to see is that suffering is allowed by God and it is universal to mankind. That's right. A holy, righteous, sovereign God allows his people to suffer. Now you may say, I don't like that. I don't want suffering in my life. Well, you're not alone. But here's what you need to know. God let everything bad that happened to Joseph's life happen. God allowed that. In fact, the major theme of all the chapters about Joseph is that God is using the time of Joseph's suffering to develop a character in him. God is allowing hardships and difficulties in Joseph's life for a reason. In fact, if we go back even before chapter 39, we see that Joseph's whole life has kind of been messed up ever since he was a young boy. Let's briefly recall the family history. Joseph grew up in what we might today call a dysfunctional family, and I'll show you why. Joseph's mother and father were Jacob and Rachel. Remember, Jacob and Joseph's uncle Esau had a falling out over a birthright, so much that Esau said, the next time I see Jacob, I'm going to kill him. Also, Jacob and Jacob's father-in-law Laban had a falling out over flocks, herds, and property. 
Then Joseph's mother, Rachel, died when Joseph was young while giving birth to his younger brother, Benjamin. Joseph's oldest brother, Reuben, had an incestuous relationship with one of his father's wives by the name of Bilhah. Then Joseph's sister, Dinah, was abducted and raped near the town of Shechem. And in response to that, Joseph's two older brothers went and committed genocide, killing all the males in that town. Now that's pretty dysfunctional, right? And that's just the early years of Joseph's life. After this, later in life, the Bible tells us that Joseph is hated by his brothers in part because his father Jacob favored Joseph over them. Recall the coat of many colors? Jacob had that made for Joseph. Also remember that Joseph had a couple of dreams that he told the rest of the family. Now they weren't too pleased with the interpretation of those dreams. Joseph basically described for them a time when his family would bow down to him. So the Bible also gives us the idea that Joseph has informed on his brothers about something they were doing that he believed his father would not approve of. So his brothers hated him. So fast forward a bit, and we see that one day, Joseph's brothers are out in the field tending the flocks, and they see Joseph coming in the distance, and they hated him so much, they grabbed him, and they threw him in a pit to let him die. But one of his brothers, while they were sitting there eating, while Joseph is in the pit, said, well, wait a minute, if we're going to be rid of him, let's at least make some money off of him. So they pretty much human trafficked Joseph. They sold him to some Midianite traders who passed by, who brought him to Egypt, and he ended up in Potiphar's house, where he became a slave to Potiphar. Now, if you recall from your Bible studies early on, the verses that we skipped over, after some time in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph refuses, and Potiphar's wife lies about the incident, and that's where we find Joseph in prison. Listen, here's the one thing you need to know. Joseph did everything right, but everything wrong happened to him. You see, in our way of thinking, we can often come to terms with suffering if we feel we deserve it. But when we feel we've done everything right, when we feel we've been obedient, when we say there's no blatant sin in my life, when we say I'm doing all the things a good Christian should do and now this or that has happened to me, we ask, why is this happening to me? We don't understand. We feel this should not be happening and we want to know why. Now there are many reasons why suffering exists in the world. Most of the time suffering is just simply a result of the fallen world we live in. Now, sometimes we do suffer as a direct consequence of our sin. If you cheat on your spouse and you lose your family, you lose your position or your job, that's a direct consequence of your sin. If you lie or are dishonest in something in order to get ahead and then you are caught, you will face consequences for your sin. Sometimes suffering is the result of someone else's sin and we are a victim of it. If someone chooses to drink and drive and he or she kills or injures someone, that person or their family is suffering because of someone else's sin. Sometimes we suffer as a direct attack from Satan. God allowed Satan to attack Job. Now, we don't like the thought of that, but God did allow that. Sometimes suffering is a result of persecution. Many around the world are persecuted for their faith in Jesus, even here in America. You see, the world does not like the light of Christ exposing the darkness. And so persecution is happening and will increase as times grow even darker. 
Now, more often than not, we get hung up on the why, don't we? We get hung up on the why of our suffering. So what I want you to know is it's not important that you figure out the source of your suffering. More important than trying to figure out the why you suffer is you need to figure out how you're going to respond to suffering. How you respond to suffering is far more important than why you are suffering. Chuck Swindoll says that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Our attitude is everything, especially when we are suffering. You see, suffering in this life is inevitable, and you cannot change that. The only thing you can change is your attitude. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Hold on to that thought. Job said in Job 5-7, But humans are born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. In other words, trouble is going to happen. Jesus said to his disciples, In the world you shall have tribulation. Not you might have tribulation. No, what did he say? He said, You're going to have it. It's guaranteed. In the book of James, James writes, Count it all joys, my brothers, when you fall into various trials. Not if you fall, when you fall. So suffering is guaranteed. But notice also that suffering is universal. No one is immune to it. Jesus said in Matthew 5:45 that God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust, and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, the godly and the ungodly. That's why it's wrong to come up with false theology such as the prosperity gospel that says godly people won't suffer if they just do this or do that or that you're doing something wrong if you're not healthy and wealthy. Listen, the righteous suffer just like the unrighteous. We go through pain, sickness, disease, and brokenness just like everybody else. The idea that if I just had enough faith, if I just prayed harder or read my Bible more, I wouldn't have to suffer is nonsense. If there was some kind of formula we could follow to avoid suffering, then surely we would see it. But we don't. In fact, I submit to you that some of the best Christians are those who suffer the most. Charles Spurgeon said, I believe the hardest-hearted, most unlovely Christians in all the world are those who never had much trouble. And those who are the most sympathizing, loving, and Christ-like are those that have had the most afflictions. The worst thing that can happen to any of us is to have our path made too smooth. How true is that? So we see that suffering is permitted by God and it's universal to all mankind. All right, number two, write this down. The second thing we need to know is that God is with us in our suffering. He does not leave us to suffer alone. Look again at verse 2, and then we'll do verse 21 and verse 23. I want to show you something. So verse 2 of chapter 39 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. Now look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. Now look at verse 23. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything he did successful. What did you hear in those verses? There's a phrase that is repeated three times. What was it? Joseph was in situations not of his choosing, but God was was with him. Now, when suffering comes, there are often two reactions that the believer has. 
The first reaction we see, and I will use the example I used a second ago, kind of goes like this. You know, I, I put my trust in God, I was walking in faith, and then boom, God let this happen. So I just quit going to church, I quit reading my Bible, I quit praying, I just don't trust God anymore. You see, this person has gotten bitter. They have turned inward. They're angry with God. They're resentful. They're filled with self-pity. Ever known anyone like that? Suffering comes and they walk away from God. It happens all the time. But you see, this response to suffering is again born out of a wrong assumption about God. That being that God exists only to make my life comfortable and assure me that I never have any problems. This certainly is not biblical. Now there's another response to suffering we see, and it is the correct response to suffering. Suffering comes and it moves us closer to God. We experience God on a much deeper and more intimate level because we know we need Him in that moment. Suffering comes and it wakes us from our lethargy. It grabs our attention away from the things we thought were important. Maybe we were just going through the motions or maybe even drifting from our faith and then a trial or pain of suffering shocks us and brings us running back to God. Consider the psalmist, Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. For this type of uh, person, suffering brings them back to their knees. They're drawn closer to God and they seek Him in prayer. So you see, suffering can either break us when we walk away from God, or it bends our knees and brings us closer to God. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain and suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, I would submit to you that you need to decide right now before suffering comes that you will not let it drive you away from God. Don't wait until you're in the midst of suffering to decide how you will respond. Decide today that you allow God to use suffering to bring you closer to Him. He has promised that He will not leave you or forsake you. In fact, He will come to you in your suffering. Let me show you one example. Let me give you a quick example from Scripture. In each of the four Gospels, we are given this story. Jesus has just finished with the sermon and he has told his disciples to get into the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. During that crossing, a fierce storm arose. Because of the way the Sea of Galilee is situated in the valley, the winds rush down and storms can become treacherous for boats. Many have torn apart and sank due to these storms. Now, they'll remember the disciples were experienced fishermen and they were used to these storms. But this particular storm had them terrified. So it was dark and the storm is raging on. They look out and they saw somebody walking toward them on the water. It was Jesus. You see, Jesus was just casually walking on the very thing they feared the most. He was walking to them in the storm on those fierce waves. God came to them and was with them in the storm itself. Listen, Jesus will do the same for you in your suffering and in your pain. When you are broken, don't run from God. Run to Him. He is there. Just as God was with Joseph, He promises to be with you as well. All right, number three, write this down. Suffering is a conduit for God to work in our lives. Let's look back at verses four and six of 
chapter 39 there. Joseph, as we know, has been taken to Egypt. He's in Potiphar's house. Look what it says. Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From that time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And then in verses 19 through 23 where we find Joseph in prison, notice verse 22. It says, The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. And he was responsible for everything that was done there. So did you notice that twice in this chapter, Joseph gets a promotion once in Potiphar's home and again in prison even though he's a prisoner himself. God not only was with Joseph as we established, but God took care of Joseph even in his suffering. You know, although we may not readily admit it, there are benefits to times of suffering. The first and most obvious benefit of a trial or suffering is that it makes you appreciate the times when you aren't going through a trial. That's pretty obvious, right? I think we all can relate to that. But think about this too. Suffering also develops our character. A majority of the promises in the Bible focus on the fact that when you go through difficult times, God is doing something with and in you to develop your character, to make you a much better and useful person. Paul reminds us in Romans 8:28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Listen to some more benefits. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Knowing this, the testing of your faith produces patience. How many of us have asked for patience? Well, God can do that through trials. He can teach us to be patient. Consider Romans 5, 3 and 4. Paul says, We boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. Notice also that suffering not only develops our character, it also develops our faith. Suffering puts our faith to the test. Like an athlete that prepares for competition, we should constantly be exercising our faith so that when suffering comes, we can endure. Imagine if an Olympic athlete sat around playing video games and eating donuts and never trained for their event. How would that go? Not too good. Likewise, if you and I are not practicing the disciplines of our faith, such as prayer, meditation, Bible study, building relationships with others, and serving, then we too will not be prepared for times of hardship. Now I want to point out one of those I just mentioned there. Building relationships is huge. You know why it's important that we build relationships with other believers? Here it is. Because one day they will need you. Likewise, one day you will need them. Paul instructed us to bear one another's burdens. Other believers are one of our greatest resources in times of suffering. Also, suffering reminds us that the world is not our home. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, The suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So all of that is, is faith building and character development. All of that is personal improvement. But there's more. 
You see, when God takes you through trials, suffering, hardships, and afflictions, it's more than personal improvement. It's also purposeful improvement. That is, God can use trials to position you for greater impact in this world. God may be preparing you for something much bigger than you can imagine. Some of you can look back at a previous trial now and you see what God was doing. But at the time, you did not understand. That's exactly what happened in Joseph's life. And that is the theme of all these chapters, how God developed Joseph to be the second in command under Pharaoh and the leader over a worldwide famine. You see, Joseph was put through difficulty and suffering to position him where God would use him to save his people. God used him to impact others. So listen, when you find yourself in the midst of suffering, instead of focusing on the why, focus on the what. What is God doing in your life? What is God getting you ready for? So think about this. If Joseph's brothers didn't hate him, they would have never sold him. If they hadn't have sold him, he wouldn't have ended up in Egypt. If he didn't end up in Egypt, he wouldn't have worked for Potiphar. If he wouldn't have worked for Potiphar, he would never have been thrown in jail. If he hadn't gotten thrown in jail, he never would have interpreted the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker. If he wouldn't have interpreted the dreams for the cupbearer and the baker, he never would have stood before the Pharaoh to interpret his dream. If he never would have stood before Pharaoh to interpret his dream, he wouldn't have come up with a solution on how to fix the problem and become the second in command of the world's largest empire of the time. You see, God developed Joseph and moved Joseph into position. With each hardship, with each difficulty, with each exposure to affliction, God was working and moving Joseph each step along the way to a place where God could use him greatly. God works through our suffering. Now think about this. Life seems to be a series of problems, doesn't it? The old adage proves itself to be true. You're either in a trial now, or you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into one. Life never seems to stay the same, does it? If life is going very well for you right now, enjoy, but be warned. Somewhere up the road, the bridge is out. Trials and afflictions come upon us suddenly and seemingly out of nowhere, but be assured they will come. And why is that? Let's think about that for a moment. How can we trust a God that when we trust him, he allows a litany of things like what happened to Joseph to happen? One hardship after another. Why do we have to go through this or that? Where's the love of God in that? Well, here's the answer. It's because God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. It's because God is more interested in making you holy than making you happy. It's because God is more interested in making you valuable to others, not just joyful to yourself. It's about a pathway to purpose. Pain is part of the path that takes us directly into the will of God. Now, we can imagine that Joseph spent years wondering why bad things were happening to him. Hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of something he did not do, and then thrown into prison and forgotten about by those who said they would put in a good word for him. The years went by seemingly with no answer, and it's not until we get to Genesis chapter 42 that Joseph sees what God was doing. God was using Joseph to save and overwhelmingly establish the Israelites as a nation. Now, something else I would add is, is this. I would urge you not to short-circuit the process, no matter how much you want to. 
Our first reaction to pain and suffering is what? Please, God, take this away. Make this all better. I get it. But what if God answers your prayer and removes the pain? But he also removes the result he was working in you and the character he was building in you and the purpose he had for you. My friends, the pain may be worth it in the end. It was for Joseph. Listen, when life gets hard, don't give up. What if all the men and women who had gone before us had just given up? What if they had just said, this is too much? Where would we be? Listen, if you want to leave a legacy, if you want to be valuable, then you have to allow some misery in your life. Allow God in His providence to shape you, to use you for His glory, and to prepare you. You see, God was able to use Joseph because Joseph trusted God and sought to honor God with his life. If you will do that, if you will follow Joseph's example, God can use you as well. So we've seen that suffering is permitted by God. God is with us in our suffering. And suffering is a conduit for God to work in our lives. Let's look at one last thing here. Suffering comes with blessings. Now, you may be thinking, what on earth are you talking about? Well, let's go back to our text and look at Joseph again. In the first part of our scripture, verses 1 through 6, we saw that Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's home. But the Spirit of God was so evident in his life that Potiphar puts him in charge of the whole household. Who's ever heard of this? A slave becoming in charge of the whole household. And then if we look at verses 21 through 23, Joseph is in prison. But did you notice what it says in verse 21? But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. Look at verse 23. It says, The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And the Lord made everything that he did successful. Did you see what's going on there? So what we see is that God allows these trials and suffering to happen to Joseph. However, notice that these areas of blessing keep popping up in these verses that show us that God is mitigating the severity of his suffering. Joseph keeps rising to the top of every bad situation he is in. Listen, even in our suffering, when we think we can't take it anymore, God shows himself by allowing blessing to flow through even when we can't see it or feel it. Here's what I'm getting at. In Joseph's life and in ours, when it comes to suffering, it could always be much worse. We can't see what God may be holding back. Joseph could have lost his life. Joseph could have gotten severely beaten to the point where he was maybe disabled for the rest of his life. Any number of things could have happened. But they didn't. Why? Because the Lord showed him kindness. When we're tempted to wallow in our suffering, look around. If you do, you will see someone who is suffering more than you. God, even in your suffering, shows us mercy and kindness. So, what, so we see that all the times of hardship and suffering in Joseph's life, God is working behind the scenes. He's being kind. He's being favorable. He's being merciful. He's taking care of Joseph even in his hardships. Why is God doing this? Well, I think one of the reasons is because we never see Joseph complaining about his situation in life. Think about that. Not once is it recorded that Joseph became angry with God or complained to God, although in our minds he had good reason to. Listen, we too could benefit if we could stop and, and learn to stop complaining about our lot in life and the situations we find ourselves in. I know this is difficult. Complaining seems to be our default setting. Listen, Paul said to give thanks 
in all things. What would happen if we did this? Well, we're given some examples from Scripture. I'll share just one, but there are many. Check this one out in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Let me set the scene for you. Jeremiah, the city of Jerusalem, is burning down around him. And all of his people have been taken captive. And the Babylonians were taking and sacking this city. And in the middle of that, you know what Jeremiah said? He said, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You see, a thankful heart will start noticing the mercy, noticing the grace, noticing the blessing and the benefits of God prospering you even in your suffering. God is working in our lives when it doesn't feel good, even when it hurts. God even, may even be carrying you to get you to the other side, but He is there. He is sustaining you. So in your suffering, although it's difficult, look for God's blessing. Look for His mercy. Look for His favor. Somewhere, some way, somehow, your suffering could be much worse than it is. Our prayer should be that we recognize God's goodness and blessing even in our own suffering. Do you realize that our eyes are, are very amazing? I don't have time to go into all the science of it, but the human eye has the amazing ability to adjust to different conditions. If you wear glasses or contacts, you know what I mean. You get new glasses, and at first you're like, my goodness, my head is killing me. I can't see anything. And then after a week or so, your eyes adjust, and everything is fine. Your headache is gone. You can actually see. You just had to suffer a little while. Here's my point. Let yourself grow accustomed to the conditions of the suffering you find yourself in so that you can start seeing the favor and the mercies and the grace of God. Simply allow yourself time to adjust to the suffering. It may take some time, but you can do it. God has created us in such a way that we can adjust to almost anything life throws at us if only we are willing to do so. You say, how do, how do I do that? How do I adjust to suffering? Well, first you develop a thankful heart, as we've already said. And the next thing you need to do is serve others. In fact, the best way to get the focus off of your situation is to go find someone to serve. We know it's a God thing, but even the researchers are catching up. And their research has proven that there's a chemical reaction that happens in us when we serve and help others. It's euphoric. It's uplifting. God has made us this way. So I believe Joseph always rose to the top because, number one, he never complained. And number two, I believe he rose to the top because he made the best of bad situations. Another example we need to follow. Joseph's attitude was such that he said, if I'm a slave, I will be the best slave there is. When in prison, he said, if I'm a prisoner, I will be the best prisoner there is. Joseph served his masters well, and he was rewarded for it. You see, Joseph got the focus off himself, and he served others, and God blessed him for it. If we follow Joseph's example, I believe God will do the same for us as well. I just want to leave you one last thing, and that is that suffering is not permanent. It's temporary. That's right. Suffering is only temporary. When you're in suffering, you think, this is never going to end. You think, this will not get better. It's always going to be this way. I want to assure you that it's not. Suffering is only for a time. Now, the critic will jump to the worst-case scenario and say, what about someone with a permanent disability or a terminal illness? You can't tell me their suffering will not end. 
Yes, I can. And yes, it will. Please hear me. I'm not trying to lessen or make light of the sufferings of anyone. But here's what I am saying. Listen, life on here on earth is just but a fraction of eternity that awaits us. So for the believer that never recovers from a disability or the one that dies from a terminal illness, his or her suffering is finished. In heaven, they suffer no more. You see, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the sick will be made well. That's the promise for those in Christ. Amen. If you will, allow me to pray for you just a minute. Dear God, we thank you again for your word. We just thank you for how it is so powerful, how it just cuts through all the lies. And, and Lord, we just thank you that in Joseph's life here, we see how you were working behind the scenes, how you were constantly with him, how you did not leave him, you did not forsake him, and that, Lord, you were developing a character in him, and you were doing something more in him that he could never imagine until one day he realized it. Lord, I know that there are many of us right now that are in a time of trial. And so, Lord, I just lift them up right now. I pray that all these things we have looked at this morning, if they would take those things to heart, bring them inside, Lord, and learn to, to suffer well, we might say. And so, Lord, we know that you are with us. We know that you are working something in us. We know that you want to benefit us. And we know that even in trials, you want to bless us. And so, Lord, we claim those things this morning. And so, Lord, again, we just thank you for this day as we go out, Lord, into a lost world. I pray that you give us the courage, Lord, to witness, to show others that because there is suffering, God exists. And God is sovereign in and through that suffering. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.